We turn to the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 7, when God visits his people. Luke chapter 7, and we read verses 11 through 17. As soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who visits your people. You visited us, you came to us in your son Jesus, and you visit us in various ways throughout our lives as you come. In our time of need, you minister to us, Lord, when we have nowhere to turn but to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would visit us this morning. As we look at your word, teach us, we pray, guide us, Lord, into your truth. We believe that your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read a story about a pastor who was preparing his Christmas message and fell asleep. I don't know if that's the greatest sign in the world. If uh, a pastor falls asleep preparing his own message, what's it going to be like for those on Sunday? But he fell asleep, and he had a dream that he lived in a world into which Jesus had not come. And in the dream, he walked out into the streets, and there was no churches with any steeples that were pointing to heaven. He was summoned by a weeping child whose mother was dying, but when he arrived there and he opened the New Testament, all the promises of heaven were not there. <laughs> they had disappeared. He bowed his head and wept in bitter despair, for he could offer no hope beyond the grave. But suddenly he was awakened by the choir practicing familiar Christmas songs, and joy filled his soul like never before. <laughs> Like never before, he realized the importance of Jesus coming. During Advent, we uh, celebrate the coming of Jesus. We look back at his first coming as he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, where God took on a human flesh. We also look forward to his second coming. Uh, Jesus is going to come again as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The scripture tells us that. But we also look at how Jesus visits us in some very special ways. And we see an example of that in the text that we read this morning. If you look at the end of the passage, when they saw what had happened, this man on his way to being buried in the cemetery sits up in the casket and comes to life. What could they say? But God has visited his people. 
God was there that day, and it's interesting to notice that fear gripped them all. Put yourself in their shoes. If you were on your way with the mourners to the cemetery, and someone comes up and he puts his hand on the casket and tells the one in the casket to get up, and they get up, I think that would be a little bit unnerving, wouldn't it be? And so you can understand why fear gripped them all. They said, God has been here. God has visited His people. Don't you notice three things about this visitation of the Lord that day? Notice, first of all, as the God of wisdom, Jesus comes at the time that we need Him the most. One of the things that is quite interesting as you read through the Gospels, you will notice that Jesus was very conscious of time. Uh, many times he said that my time has not yet come. And then later on in the Gospels he speaks about his time having come. All in accordance with the plan of the Father. So he was very conscious of time. And in everything that Jesus did, he never acted too early. Never acted too late. He was always in the right place at the right time. Isn't that great? Sometimes you wonder if I'm in the right place at the right time. Maybe in the wrong place at the wrong time. But Jesus was always in the right place at the right time. And our text is a great example of that. He had just healed the centurion's servant in the verses prior to this in the city of Capernaum. And that was about 30 miles from Capernaum to the little town of Nain. And what's interesting, he arrived there at the exact time that this funeral procession was going out to the cemetery. And Luke expresses amazement here. Uh, some of our translations don't include the word behold, but the word is there. And so verse 12 would read literally, as he approached the gate of the city, behold, or lo, or lo and behold, a dead man was being carried out. It's as if Luke is saying, take a look at this. You need to understand something here. At the exact time that these people were headed to the cemetery, at that exact time, Jesus arrived in Nain. Now, how do you time that? You're traveling 30 miles, right? You're not hopping in a car and just saying, okay, I'll be there in 30 minutes. You're walking. And so they must have taken off early in the morning, and this burial took place probably later in the, in the afternoon, and the exact timing was perfect, right? Jesus is coming in, and they're leaving. That's why Luke says, Behold, look at this. How Jesus met them at the exact time. One uh, commentator says, The surprise occasioned by the meeting of these two bodies of people is marked by the word lo, or behold. It seemed purely accidental, but it was the hand of providence. Now, if Jesus would have arrived at Nain a few minutes earlier, he would have missed them. Or if he would have arrived in that little town a few minutes later, the same thing would have happened, but he came at just the right time. As the people were leaving, he was coming into the city. 
That's how God works. His timing is always perfect. And sometimes we, we see a God's timing and it's just like, whoa, <laughs> Lord, you knew my need, right? You, you were there just when I, when I needed you. There's another example of this in the book of Acts when Philip had gone to this town in Samaria and he was preaching the, the gospel there and, and there were many people that were coming to the Lord and then the Lord says to him, I want you to go on the road that goes down to Gaza, a desert place. If I was Philip, I'd say, um, Lord, don't you know what's happening here? There's lots of good things happening here. But he took off and he went down on that desert road. Lo and behold, who's coming? This Ethiopian eunuch who had been in Jerusalem and he's riding along in his chariot. And the Lord says to Philip, go and talk to him. So Philip goes and talks to him and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand unless someone tells me? (laughs) And so Philip took that passage of scripture from Isaiah and said, this is fulfilled, has been fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Again, the timing of that meeting was clearly ordained by God. I read an interesting story about a missionary by the name of Barnabas Shaw. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. And he was forbidden to preach in Cape Town, Africa, so he decided to go into the interior to find a place where he could minister. So he bought a yoke of oxen and he put his wife and his belongings into a wagon and started out resolved to settle wherever he'd be allowed to preach. Well, they journeyed 300 miles. Imagine how long that took. And while they were camping one night, they discovered that a band of natives were also camping nearby. And as he was visiting with them, he learned that these men were on their way to Cape Town to find a missionary. He was on his way to find a place where he could serve. So while they were trying to find a missionary, he was trying to find a mission field. And God ordained that these Two groups of people met. Coincidence? I kind of think this was the hand of God as well. God had been leading him where he wanted him to go. Aren't you thankful that God's timing is perfect in our lives? I'll bet you you can look back on on certain events or certain circumstances and say, hmm, isn't that interesting? God, you directed me in this way. You led me in this way. And the timing was absolutely perfect. Sometimes it's very obvious. Sometimes it's not so obvious. Maybe looking back, we see, oh, I didn't recognize that at the time. But God, that was the way that that you led. He knows what we need. And he knows when we need it as well. Now, we might not necessarily agree with God's timing because we want things. No, come on, come on, come on. Let's let's let this happen. But we can trust His timing. He is the God of wisdom. And Jesus comes at the time that we need Him the most. Second thing we learn, as the God of compassion, Jesus comes with the comfort we need the most. 
Now, I can certainly envision this scene on the way to the cemetery because I've been in those funeral processions many times. Well over 200 times I've been on the way from the church to the cemetery, usually riding with the funeral director in that coach, and we're headed out to the cemetery. And I've discovered that that's one of the most painful times for families who are mourning. Because there's a sense of finality, maybe is the word to describe it, when you're there in the cemetery, and there's the casket, and the hole has been dug, and you know that that body is going to be uh, set in the ground. There's just something that is challenging about that. Think of this situation. There's a number of things that Luke mentions about this funeral procession that, that really uh, amplifies, in some ways, the pain this woman is facing. For one thing, she was a widow. And so here she was, on the way to bury her son. Her husband had already died, so there was not that relationship, that close relationship of husband and wife in facing that together. Uh, she was facing that all alone. And just think of how lonely that must have felt. Luke also says that this son of hers was young. Jesus uh, describes him as a young man. We don't know exactly how old that was, but he says, young man, uh, arise. It's hard to lose anyone of any age, but there seems to be, a, what would you say, a deeper sense of pain when it's someone who is young. Especially if you are a parent bearing your child. And besides that, this woman or this son was her only son. So her husband is gone. Now her only son is gone. And that must have really amplified the, the, the sense of pain that she was going through. That's not to say that if she had other children, she wouldn't be so sad, right? I mean, it's not like, well, I got four other sons, so big deal. That's only 20% of my kids. No. When you, in that culture, if you are a widow and you have no children, that meant a pretty uncertain future. And so there was a lot of things probably going through this woman's mind. First I lose my husband, then I lose my only son. Young man, what am I going to do? How am I going to face this? We can only imagine how difficult it was for her to take that journey. Joseph Bailey knew what the loss of a child was like because he lost three, buried three of his children. One at 18 days after surgery. Another at five years, died from leukemia. And the third at 18 years of age in an accident. So when Joe Bailey wrote about the death of a child, people listened and here's part of what he had to say. He said, of all deaths, that of a child is most unnatural and hardest to bear. In Carl Jung's words, it is a period placed before the end of the sentence, sometimes when the sentence has, has hardly begun. He says, we expect the old to die. 
The separation is always difficult, but it comes as no surprise. No surprise. But the child, the youth, life lies ahead with its beauty, its wonder, its potential. Death is a cruel thief when it strikes down the young. And he says the suffering that usually precedes death is another reason childhood death is so hard for parents to bear. Children were made for fun and laughter, for sunshine, not pain. In a way, it is different from any other human relationship. A child is bone of his parents' bone, flesh of their flesh. When a child dies, part of the parents is buried. Then he says this, I met a man who was in his 70s. During our first 10 minutes together, He brought the faded photograph of a child out of his wallet, his child, who had died 50 years before. So you can see what pain this woman was facing on that day, bringing her son out to bury. But as Jesus came to her town that day, uh, she discovered there was someone who, who hurt with her. There was someone who deeply cared for her. Because in verse 13, Luke says that Jesus saw her and he felt compassion for her. And that word compassion is kind of an interesting word. Uh, one author says that Luke uses the strongest word possible to describe Jesus' pity. It actually comes from a word that describes the, the viscera, the heart, the, the liver, the lungs. And he says it describes an emotion that has a physical effect. Jesus felt for her. You know how emotions can do that? Where you're, you, you feel it in your, in your gut. There's just something about how an emotional pain can, can manifest itself physically. And so when Jesus saw her in her need, that's the kind of compassion that, that Jesus had. And I would say it's refreshing to see the response, this response to a funeral procession, because I don't think most people see funeral processions the way Jesus did. You know how some see it? Oh, brother, I've got to slow down. I've got to wait for this funeral procession. as It's just ruining their life, you know. I've got to get somewhere in my time. Others never stop to think of what that family is facing as they head out to the cemetery. I do. Every time I see a funeral procession, I I think of that because I've been in them so many times and dealt with families going through that so many times. I often think of what is this family facing now? And often I'll pray for them. Lord, minister to them. There's a hurting family here. Encourage them in their time of need. And yet some people just don't seem to have compassion for those who are hurting. I read a, in our daily bread about a woman who was in Seattle, Washington, standing on a bridge, ready to end her life. She stood there for three hours. And it created such a traffic jam that some of the motorists began to curse the woman and screamed at her to jump. Can you, can you believe that? And she did, but she survived. 
160-foot fall into the canal. Many residents later, later sent flowers and cards to her in the hospital, apologizing for how she was treated. But some of the angry drivers phoned the local newspaper and, mind you, blamed the woman for not choosing a less-traveled uh, space to end her life. How, how, can, how can people be so without compassion? What a contrast to what we see here with Jesus. He had compassion for this woman. He felt for her. And he was there at the time she needed him the most. As the God of compassion, Jesus comes with the comfort we need the most. But then thirdly, it gets better. As the God of might, Jesus comes with the power that we need the most. So there was a large crowd that came with Jesus, and there was a sizable crowd that came with the woman to the cemetery. So I don't know how big that group was, large crowd. But no one in this large crowd could really do anything for her son. They could be with her as, they, as she was there at that cemetery. But there was nothing they could do for her son. Her son was dead, and, and they were helpless to change that. But Jesus was not helpless, was he? Not only did he have compassion upon her, but his power uh, changed the, the very course of their lives that day. Verse 13 says, When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. <laughs> How would you have liked to have been there? Wouldn't that be amazing? Think you'd tell your uh, family when you got home? You wouldn't believe what I saw today, huh? And no wonder it says that this news went out through all Judea, in the surrounding area. I wonder what would happen on the news if that happened at a cemetery in Maple Grove, huh? This guy came along and told the guy in the casket to get out of the casket, and he did. He started talking, and he gave him back to his mother. Wow. Amazing. Now, there's two things that Jesus said here that might seem, at first, a little strange to us. He tells the mother not to weep. He said to her, do not weep. Literally, stop weeping. Is, 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 it would be a good tra way of translating that. I don't know what you would do if you were in this woman's place, but if this was me, I might wonder why someone is telling me on the way to burying my son as a widow, don't weep or stop weeping. But Jesus knew what he was going to do for this woman and her son. And his words, in one sense, were like a hint that something good is about to happen, right? Something good is about to happen, and there would be no reason for tears because Jesus would raise that young man to life. So it seems a little bit strange that he says, don't weep. And then a second thing that Jesus did was to tell the dead man to get up. <laughs> Think of that. Telling a dead man to get up. Doesn't that seem a little bit strange? What can a dead man do, huh? 
Can he hear? And just decide to get up? (laughs) Apart from Jesus, it's obvious that this dead man could do nothing. But when Jesus told him to arise, he did. That's how much power there is in Jesus' word, right? All that Jesus had to do was to say the word. Richard Lenski says, Jesus speaks to the dead youth as if he could hear and obey because his command carries with it the power to obey. And that shouldn't surprise us because creation, you go back to creation. How did it happen? God said, let there be light and there was light. He spoke it into existence. And here, Jesus spoke into existence. A dead man brought him to life. Reminds us of the death and resurrection of Lazarus, remember? He had been dead for four days. And people said he was stinking by that time. Body had decomposed. What did Jesus do? He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. So what are the lessons then we, we take from this passage? I think there's two of them. First of all, the resurrection of the widow's son is a, a picture, an illustration of a spiritual resurrection, a resurrection that we can experience in our lives today. You see, by nature, we are, we are dead spiritually. The Bible says that, Ephesians 2, 1, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't have spiritual life, and, and there's nothing that we can do about that. But the good news is that Jesus can give us spiritual life. No matter how hopeless someone may be, God can give them life, spiritual life. What did Jesus say? I have come that you might have Life and have it abundantly. He's not talking about physical life. He's talking about spiritual life. So if you walked into this building today as one who's spiritually dead, you can walk out as one who has spiritual life, right? A resurrection. A spiritual resurrection. When we put our trust in Jesus, we pass from death to life. And this text then pictures that resurrection that can take place in our lives today as we put our trust in Jesus. I can't think of anything more exciting than that, right? (laughs) Than to come to the Lord and experience life, spiritual life, abundant life, eternal life in Jesus. So that's one lesson. The second lesson is the resurrection of the widow's son is also a preview. It's a preview of a future resurrection. You know when you go to a movie... You see a preview, right? Well, this is like a a preview of a future resurrection. Just as Jesus raised this young man from the dead by his word, there's coming a day when there will be a much greater resurrection. John chapter 5 verse 28 says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his word voice and will come forth 
Some to a resurrection of life, and some to a resurrection of judgment. And so one day, you and I are going to be raised. All of us will be raised from the dead. That is a fact. The only question is, will it be a resurrection unto life, or will it be a resurrection unto judgment? That's why we need to have spiritual life, a living relationship with Jesus, so that when we die and then are raised someday, we experience that glory of being in the presence of of Jesus. There's something wonderful that happened when Jesus raised this young man that I want you to notice. Verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak. That's wonderful. And then it says, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Do you love that phrase? Jesus gave him back to his mother. That is very, well, word for word, what happened when Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, raised the son of a woman from Sidon. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper room into the house, and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see here, your son is alive. And then Elisha, the prophet, there was the Shunammite woman whose son had died in 2 Kings chapter 4. And he called his servant and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Take up your son. So isn't it interesting? All three of these resurrections, it resulted in those sons being given back to their mother. I think that's fascinating. I think that's very, very interesting. A mother being reunited with her son. That is... The hope of the Christian, right? That is the reality of those who know the Lord. Uh, there was a, a, a young man by the name of uh, Henry Bosch years ago. You might recognize his name. He was one of the writers of devotionals in Our Daily Bread. And in the summer months, he worked at a cemetery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. His father was the superintendent of that cemetery. And he had seen who knows how many graveside services, probably hundreds And there was one that had a very deep impact on him. It was the funeral of a little six-year-old girl. It was the daughter of a pastor and his wife. And they had prayed for a long time that they would have children. And finally, this little girl was born. And at the age of six, uh, she died in a, a tragic accident. And usually at the graveside, at least my experience has been, that the casket isn't opened again. But they asked, the people there asked if they could open the casket one more time. And so there they stood, uh, looking at that little six-year-old girl. And the mom and dad standing there. Can you picture that? How tough that would be? And so as this pastor was standing there, he raised his hands toward heaven and with tears rolling down his cheeks, he said to that little girl, Good night, darling. We will meet you in heaven. We loved you so much, but Jesus loves you more. Good night. 
I think I would have been bawling like a baby. When you think of that moment, how challenging that was, what was it that gave them hope? It was Jesus, right? It was the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And the promise that, just like we see here, this son was given back to his mother. There's going to be many of those events when Jesus comes again where a child is given back to mom because there's a reunion. Paul talks about it. 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, those who have died, will rise first. And Paul says, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul says, comfort one another with these words. That's a reunion, right? Do you love family reunions, huh? This is going to be a special reunion. When believers who have died meet those who are still alive, when Jesus comes again, and Paul says, so we shall always be with the Lord. Do you know what that's about? Do you have that assurance of knowing Jesus as your Savior and being raised to life? With those who have gone to heaven before. My father-in-law lived with us for a couple years before he died. Died a couple years ago. And there were times when I would walk by his room and I could hear him praying. And he would go through all the grandchildren's names in order of their birth. Not in order of the birth of each family, but in order of their birth. And then he would always conclude, praying that not one would be missing in heaven. Not one would be missing. That was his desire, and that's, I hope, your desire too. That you have that assurance that Jesus is your Savior. And you live in light of that day when you stand before Him. God visited the people of Nain that day. And He did a, a marvelous work there. And the life of the young man who was dead and the life of his mother. And I'm sure the lives of many who witnessed that event that day. A powerful visit of God's mercy and God's grace. And God wants to visit us today through His Word by encouraging us and drawing us to Him and reminding us of who Jesus is and why He came. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for what You did that day in that little town of Nain. And the people were right that God had visited His people in a very special way. And so Lord, visit us today. Call us to Yourself. Draw us, Lord, close to You. Remind us of who You are and why You came. And give to us, Lord, that assurance of knowing You and knowing that we have eternal life. 
In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen.